Good evening. Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. Hope you enjoyed summer today. Nice and warm and toasty and got another day of it it looks like and then finally cooling off. It's about time. But don't want to rush it, huh? All right. Well... Genesis chapter 43. Anybody have a blessing you'd like to share real quick? Anybody? Brother Darrell? Good. Very good. Phyllis is doing good at home, so praise the Lord for that. Anybody else? Great weather. Okay. Brother Mike? Amen. All right, glad to be in the house of the Lord. Ramona? All right, glad to be saved, thankful to be saved. Michelle? Good, good. Amen, that's certainly a praise. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we are thankful for the blessings that you've given us. We're thankful, Lord, for the uh, goodness that you bestow upon us, and God, I pray that you'd help us to always be mindful of your goodness in our life, that you'd help us to not take those things for granted. And God, that you'd help us to be people who uh, just recognize your goodness in our life. pray that you'd bless now the effort to preach your word. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts and to help us this evening. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I know that uh, all of you are aware of the fact that two weeks ago, I loaded up the family and we headed out on our family vacation. And we went out west because we had never been out that direction before. And so, as you know, we made our way out to California and to the San Diego area. And that was our first time to ever cross the California state line. And we had a lot of fun doing that. But tonight, I want us to think about something in relation to that. And as I tell the story, I know that you'd be able to relate to this. Uh, from your own perspective, from your own set of circumstances. But two weeks ago, if you had asked me, what do you think of California? I couldn't have told you what I think of California. You understand that, right? If, if you had come to me before we had left for the family vacation and said, so what do you think of California? I couldn't have said what I think of it. If you'd come to me and said, what do you think of La Jolla, a place there in the San Diego area, I'd say, I have no idea what La Jolla is. If you came to me and said, what do you think of Disneyland out there, I would say to you, I have no idea what I think of Disneyland because I have never been there. You understand that thought, don't you? You understand the principle that until you experience something, you are incapable of really having an honest, legitimate opinion about it. Now, that doesn't keep us sometimes from having opinions about things we haven't experienced. But until we've experienced things, we're unable to really give an honest, legitimate evaluation of something. Now, tonight, because we have been there, because we have experienced it, if you were to say to me, what did you think of California, I could give you my opinion. If you said, what did you think of this particular area, I could give you an opinion. If you said, what did you think of Disney, I could give you an opinion. I could tell you what I think of the situation now, 
because I have experienced it. Now, if you think about that, just real quickly, let me be a little bit more specific. We went to Disney on two different days of our vacation last week, and we had a good time. We were there for the two days combined, about 22 or 23 hours, and that is plenty of time to be in two parks, okay? In fact, that is far more than enough time to be in two parks. But as you go to a place like Disneyland, here is what you realize pretty quick. They want to try to influence your opinion of your experience there. They are trying to make the experience magical. They are trying to make it memorable. They are trying to make it fun. They are trying to make it exciting so that when you leave there and somebody says, what did you think of Disney? They want you to say to the person inquiring as to what you thought of it, they want you to say, man, it was fantastic. It was wonderful. It was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. I cannot wait to get back. That's what they want you to say. That is what they want you to do. So they are trying to influence and shape your opinion and your attitude and your thoughts based on your experience there. With that thought in mind, this evening I want to remind us of what's going on because it has been a couple of weeks since we've been in our study of Genesis. I just want to remind us that right now in this portion of the story of Joseph and all that is taking place, there is a famine that is going on, and we know that it's a famine that is far-reaching in its reach. It, it's affecting many, many people. It is not just a little regional uh, famine. It is a famine that has affected an entire territory. We know that it's gotten so bad at this point in the famine that people are already beginning to buy the corn and the, and the grain and the things that the Egyptian government had stockpiled. They're already beginning to buy these things from the Egyptian government so that they can survive, so that they can live. And we know that during this time, within the first two years, that Joseph's brothers have come from the land of Canaan so as to buy corn. You remember this? All right, Joseph's brothers have come under the orders or from the direction of their father Jacob or Israel to come and to buy corn. And as they stood before Joseph, they had no idea who they were standing before. Then as they knelt before Joseph, they had no idea who they were kneeling before. But you remember from the message two weeks ago that as the brothers had this interaction with Joseph, again, though they did not know who they were dealing with, you'll remember that Joseph dealt harshly and spoke roughly to them. You'll remember that Joseph accused them of being spies and that they were just coming to see the nakedness of the land. You'll remember that he spoke harshly to them and that he put them in prison for three days. And he said he was going to keep all of them in prison and just send one messenger back to get the youngest brother, that being Benjamin. But you'll remember at the end of three days, he said, no, I'm going to let all of you go. I'll just keep one. And that was Joseph's insurance policy, so to speak, to make sure that at some point in the future, the brothers came back. 
So the brothers were there. The brothers experienced all that. They made their way back home, and they began to tell their dad everything that took place, everything that the man had, had said to them and what they had dealt with and what they had experienced. And, and that is where we left the story with the brothers making their way back to Canaan, spending time with their dad, of course, bringing back the supplies and telling them everything that had taken place. Now, if you look in chapter 43, verse number 1, notice what it says. It says, And the famine was sore in the land. And the famine was sore in the land. What does it mean when the Bible says that this famine was sore in the land? It means this, that this famine was a creator or a cause of stress in people's lives. This famine was something that was difficult by nature to endure. Does this make sense? The famine was not just a time and a season where families had to say, well, you know, it's going to be tough for a little bit. We're going to have to tighten our belts a little bit, so to speak, and, and we're going to have to be careful in how we handle our resources so as to make it through this. No, this famine was so extreme and this famine was so intense and so brutal that it was something that created stress. It was something that caused distress in the hearts and lives of people. And it was something that was difficult to endure. All right. So the brothers had gone. They had bought the corn. And they had come back with supplies. And seemingly there were no issues except for the few days that they spent in Egypt. Now notice what it says in verse number 2. It says, And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. Go again and buy us a little food. Now, humanly speaking, based upon the experience they had the first time, it, it, it makes sense that there would be a measure of reservation in them going back, but at the same time, because of the severity of the famine, you would assume, I think, that the brothers would still be willing to go back to Egypt to try to buy food for the purpose of survival. All right? So the dad, Jacob, slash Israel says, go again and buy a little corn. Now, if you look in verse number four, this is the response of the brothers. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. Now keep in mind the brothers and the sons at this stage of life, they're not teenagers and they're not little boys. These are grown men who have their own families as well. So as they are talking to their dad, keep in mind these are men speaking to men or to a man. And this is a group of men or a set of men and these nine brothers who certainly had their own set of thoughts, their own set of opinions and positions. And as their dad says to them, go, while it would make sense that in the midst of a difficult famine that you would want to go, the brother said, dad, we'll be more than happy to go if you send our brother with us. But, they said in verse number five, if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. We will not go down if you do not send our brother, the, the baby of the family. What did they just tell their dad? They just said, Dad, no. 
We're not doing it. Sons, we need food. Sons, we need corn. Sons, we need the supplies to be able to survive. Sons, I need you to go back to Egypt so as to get the food, buy it, and bring it back to us. And they said, Dad, if you send our brother, we'll go. But, Dad, if you don't, we're not going. So if you look in the next several verses, you see that Jacob or Israel asked him questions like, Why did you deal so ill with me? And tell the man whether you had yet a brother. In verse number 6 and verse number 7, they explained themselves as to why they said what they said and did what they did. Now notice in verse number 10, here's what you realize, that this was an ongoing conversation or an ongoing debate between Jacob and his sons. They said, or Judah said, for except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. You know what Jacob had been doing with his sons and Judah in, in, in particular in this particular conversation? You know what they had been doing? They had been going round and round and round on this matter for so long that Judah says, Dad, if you would have just sent our brother with us, we could have already made the trip down there, bought the corn, and already been back with the supplies that we need and that you wanted us to have. So we have to kind of keep in mind that this was not just a one-time conversation where Jacob said, hey boys, why don't you go back down to Egypt and buy us some, some food so that we can eat and so that we can survive and so that we can live. And, and, and the boys didn't just say one time, well, no, Dad, that's not what we're interested in. No, this is something that had been going on for, for at least some amount of time. And so it kind of begs this question, I hope, at least this evening, it kind of begs this question, why were the boys, why were the sons so adamant about not going back to Egypt and getting the corn until they had Benjamin? Well, here's why. Because of their experience. Now, now think about this. They've been down to Egypt They've bought the corn. They've been through everything that they went through, and, and they've dealt with everything they've dealt with, and they've made their way home. Nine of the brothers have. And the dad says, sons, I want you to go back down. And the sons said, no, we're not doing it today. We're not doing it tomorrow. We're not doing it next week. Dad, we're not doing this. And their position with their conviction all revolved around an experience. What experience was that? Well, notice what it says in verse number 3. It says, And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. You will not see my face except your brother be with you. Now keep in mind that Joseph spoke to his brothers through an interpreter so that the brothers would never suspect that he was Joseph. You remember this? All right, so as he is speaking to them, his brothers, through this interpreter, notice what Judas says about the statement that you will not see my face. Why is that important? Because you could not buy corn unless you went through Joseph first. 
Okay, so it's not as though Joseph delegated that to someone else and that the brothers might be able to deal with someone else in the process of buying corn. No, you had to go through Joseph. You had to deal with him directly. So there was no getting around this. And here is what Joseph said to the brothers. You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. So the brothers knew that unless Benjamin is with us, this is not going to happen. This is not going to go well for us. This will be nothing more than a wasted trip. But notice what Joseph or what Judas said of Joseph. Judas said the man did solemnly protest. Did solemnly protest. What does it mean to solemnly protest? It means this, to make a serious and somber declaration. To make a serious and somber declaration. What did that look like? Remember everything that Joseph has going through his mind during their first visit. He's remembering the dreams. He's remembering everything that happened from his years as a teenager. He's remembering everything that he experienced by being in a dungeon and by being in a prison and by being a servant and by being sold into slavery. Joseph is remembering every bit of this. And as Joseph was exercising his authority while showing great grace at the same time, if you remember that message from two weeks ago, here is what Joseph does through the interpreter. He gives them a very serious and somber declaration. I can only imagine what that looked like and what that sounded like. Boys, if your brother isn't with you the next time you come to Egypt, you will not see my face. I don't know if that's exactly what it would have sounded like. But do you know what Joseph did intentionally? Joseph intentionally created an experience in their mind that his brothers would not soon forget. I would imagine, and again, I can't prove this. This is just how I imagine it. I would imagine that there was kind of a blank stare in Joseph's eyes. That's your brother. Not going to see my face. I would imagine there was a countenance about him that, that just let those brothers know, man, you don't know how serious I am. Man, you don't begin to know. How much business I mean whenever I say that unless your brother is with you, you will not see my face. So unless your brother is with you, you don't need to come back. Unless your brother is with you, you don't need to come. It wouldn't matter how much money you brought. Unless your brother is with you, you will never see my face again, which means your other brother will never be let out of prison, which means you'll never buy another grain of corn from me, which means you can starve to death for all I care. Until I see your brother, until I see him, you will not see my face. Now, again, I want us to think about this. 
They, the brothers, were adamant with their father, we are not going back because the man did solemnly protest. He did seriously and with, with, with soberness make this declaration. And so, Dad, I'm, I'm just telling you, based on our experience with Joseph or with this man, we're not doing it. Because, Dad, if we were going to, if we thought there was any chance at all of it being successful, we could have already made the trip and been back. But we know it's a waste of time based on how serious he let us know he was as it related to this matter. Now, this evening, I want us to think about this thought, and I want us to think about this principle for just a moment. Prior to going to Egypt... The brothers had no idea what they were about to experience or what they were about to encounter. They may have heard things. There may have been other people who had already made a trip to Egypt who had gotten word back to Jacob and the family as to what the experience was like. They had no idea what they were getting into prior to making the trip to Egypt. But once they made the trip... And once they met this man whom they assumed or whom they thought was a stranger in their life, they had an experience that was so carefully designed by Joseph that they would never forget the nature and the character and the attitude and the spirit and the countenance of the man they dealt with. Now think about this. It was that important to Joseph that he created what he wanted their experience with him to be. This was not an accident. This was a carefully crafted set of actions on the part of Joseph To create in his brothers the exact experience he wanted them to have. Somebody says, well, who cares? I understand. I, I, I would probably be of your same mindset if I were sitting where you were and not knowing where this is headed. But I want us to think about something this evening, and I'm going to come back to this in a few moments. This evening, I want us to think about the number of people in our lives who have crossed our paths from a casual perspective. What would that number be? Well, there's no way of knowing, is there? I mean, just think about this week, the number of people who have casually passed through your life. If you've been to the store and you've had any interaction with the cashier, your life crossed paths with their life. If you've had to do business with people at work, your life has crossed paths with their life, mostly from a casual perspective. And, and as you go throughout your daily life, you're going to pass person after person after person after person, and you are going to have casual interaction with those people. Now, I want us to think about this because this is so important, all right? 
Think about the number of times we have met people, people that obviously before this day we had no opinion of, we had no thoughts about, we had no regard for. It was not something that was ever entering into our mind as to what we thought about them. And had someone said to us, what do you think about this person? We would say, well, I don't know what I think of them. I've never met them. But once you have met them and once you've had an experience with them, and somebody were to say to you, so what did you think of them? What are you now able to do? You are now able to give an opinion of the person based upon your experience with them by way of interaction. Is that right? Okay, so that person at the store, that person at work, that, that, that person wherever it may be that, that you met maybe at a baseball game or a football game or, or, or whatever the situation was, you met them just briefly, you met them for just a few moments, you spent maybe an hour with them, whatever it was, and somebody says something like this, so what did you think of them? How many times have we heard something said like this? Well, they seemed quiet. You ever heard somebody say something like that about a person they've met, just spent a little bit of time with? Well, you know, they just seemed like a quiet individual. Maybe something like this was said, man, they're loud. I mean, I've certainly met some people like that and, and only known them for about, you know, about an hour. And somebody said, hey, what was that like? And you're like, whoa, that lady is a talker. She never shut up. From the time we said hello, she dominated the conversation. I mean, every time I'd ask the husband a question, she'd jump in and she'd answer the question for him. You understand what I'm talking about? Somebody says, well, what was your experience like with them? What did you think of so-and-so? Well, they seemed kind of quiet or they seemed kind of loud. They were a real, real talker. It might be something like this. Man, they just kind of came across like they're better than everyone else. You ever had an experience like that? And so you walk away from that situation thinking, well, huh, obviously I'm not good enough for them because apparently they're just better than everyone else. I guess I didn't dress right. I guess I didn't drive a nice enough car. I guess I don't have a fancy enough job. I guess we don't live in the right neighborhood. Man, I tell you what, I, I don't need to spend time with that person to be happy. You ever had those feelings about someone that you've only met briefly and casually? Absolutely we have. But we've also had situations like this. Man, they seemed like a nice, nice person. You know, you'd never guess that they were a multimillionaire. You'd never guess that they lived there. You'd never guess that they did that for a living. You'd never guess that that's the, the, the kind of background they had. Think about this. Isn't it amazing what kind of opinions we formulate based upon an experience by way of a quick measure of interaction? say something like this they were very nice or we may say something like this they're a real jerk somebody may say something like this man i really liked them i'd like to spend more time with them or you might say something like this i didn't care for them if i never visit with them again i'll be just fine and the list goes on and on and on before you met them what did you think of them didn't know what to think i'd never met them well, now that you've met them, what did you think? Oh, well, this is what I thought. This is how I felt. This is my opinion of them. Now, think for just a moment about the thousands of people 
that our lives have intersected with and we have drawn opinions of them based upon those casual interactions. Now think about something that we rarely think about. All those thousands of people that we met for the first time, who did they just meet for the first time? They just met us for the first time. Prior to them meeting us, think about this, prior to them meeting us, if somebody would have said, hey, what do you think about Kyle? They would have said, Kyle who? Well, you know, Kyle Osfeld, the, the, the preacher down at Grace Baptist Church. Don't know, never met him. But we run into each other, maybe at a restaurant, maybe in a store, or maybe just somewhere in general at a football game, whatever. Oh, Kyle, yeah, I met him at the football game. Oh, so what did you think about him? Guess what? They have an opinion. So the people that you crossed paths with this week casually, that, that you formed an opinion of, guess what? The people that you crossed paths with this week from a casual perspective, they also now have an opinion of you based upon their experience with you. So you met that person just, you know, at a school event. You met this person at a sporting event. You met this person at a family event. You met this person and, and you had to sit down and talk with them for a while. And you left with an opinion about them. Well, guess what they did? They left with an opinion about you and they left with an opinion about uh, me. They did the same thing about us that, that we do about them. Well, I don't like that. Well, that's not our prerogative. They're allowed to do the same thing to us that we do to them. Now, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Based upon a person's interaction with us, casually and briefly, do you know what some people have said of us? They've said something like this. Well, they seemed quiet. Or they never shut up. Talk, 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 talk. They never shut up. She dominated the conversation. Every time I asked her husband a question, she'd jump in and answer the question for him. The waitress said, what would you like? And she ordered for him as if he didn't have a brain. Don't act like those assumptions and those conclusions haven't been drawn at times. People have met us and they've said things like this. Well, they're kind of stuck up. They just kind of think they're better than everyone else. I guess I wasn't wearing nice enough clothes. I guess I don't live in a nice enough neighborhood. I guess we don't drive nice enough cars. I guess I don't have a fancy enough job. Man, they're kind of stuck up. Or they may have said something like this. That is a very humble person or that is a very humble couple. They may have said something like this. They're very nice. They may have said something like this. They're a jerk. They may have said something like this. I really like them and would like to get to know them better. Or they may have said something like this. If I don't ever spend time with them again, I'll be perfectly fine. 
Do you realize that people have thought the exact same thing of us that we have thought of other people? Somebody says, whoop-de-doo. Well, we'll get to that attitude in just a moment. But here's what I want us to think about. When you and I interact with someone knowing that this is an experience they will have with us, whether this ever enters their mind or not, this should be something that is always weighing on our mind. That I want to create the experience that they have which influences their opinion of me when this is done and when this is finished. Joseph's interaction with his brothers was not accidental. His attitude, his approach, his spirit, his countenance, his words, everything that he did with his brothers, it was deliberate and it was intentional. I want to create the experience you will have so that when you're gone, you will be forced to say something of this nature about the encounter. But see, here's the problem. So many times we're not thinking about that person's experience with us. And because we're not thinking about that person's experience or that interaction with us, we're not thinking about the impression we just made on them. So we go to work and we're not thinking about our experience or our interaction with them and their experience and their interaction with us or we walk into the environment, whatever it may be, and we're not thinking about how people are looking at us. And so what do we do? We just kind of go through life more times than not, not really thinking that people are drawing their opinions on us based upon those few moments of interaction they've had with us. Now, if you think about it, here is what we should desire to create in a person's mind by way of an opinion of us because of their experience with us. It ought to be that we want to act and conduct ourselves in such a way that somebody would leave our presence and say something like this. They seemed kind. You know, I just briefly met them, but man, they seemed kind. You know, I, I just spent a few moments with them, but they seemed like a very thoughtful, gracious individual. You know, I spent just a little bit of time with them, and they were very considerate. You know, I spent just a little bit of time with them, and, and you know, something you can certainly tell is this, is they take their spiritual life and their Christian life pretty serious. See, you and I ought to be mindful of the experience that people are having with us. And based upon that, we should be doing everything we can to create such an experience that they'll not soon forget in a positive way. See, we don't think about it. I'll rephrase that. 
I don't think about it like I should. So here's what I know about myself. I don't always have the cheeriest of countenance. It's a failure on my part. I, I don't always have the, the welcoming smile. I don't mean this weird thing on my face that looks completely fake, but, but I don't have a very welcoming smile about myself many times. And, and so my countenance is not as pleasant as it should be. My, my facial expressions are, are not as good or as pleasant as they ought to be. And, and then, you know, with, with my size, I've had many people say this before, you're a very intimidating person. And you know what I'm thinking? How come? <laughs> I don't get it. You know why they have that impression of me? Because without thinking about it, that's the impression that I gave off. I don't want to be here. I don't have to talk to you to be happy. I'm miserable. My wife drugged me here. I'm only here because this is a family function. And as soon as I can leave, the happier I will be. And then I say to Susie, well, why do they think I'm a jerk? If they just get to know me, they'd know that I'm really not like that. Well, you know why they've got the opinion they have of me? Because I created their opinion based upon their experience. Listen, please, because I was not mindful of my actions toward them. Now, here's a problem that a lot of us have. A lot of us say something like this. Well, who cares what they think of me? Well, here's the problem. We're Christians. And we ought to care about our testimony. And we ought to care about how people perceive us. And we ought to care as to whether or not our countenance and our attitude and our actions and our words and our thoughts and, our, and just our, our overall dealings with them. We ought to be thinking about the fact that I am a Christian and I need to rightly reflect Christ through my actions, even though this may be a brief interaction. How many of us have ever heard something like this based upon an opinion we had of someone else? We've said something like this, man, they're a jerk. Man, they're really arrogant. Man, they're, they're really not an enjoyable person to spend time with. And somebody has said something like this, oh, no, 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 that's not who they are at all. That, that's not how they really are. You just caught them at a bad time. And, and, and they're trying to tell you, oh, no, that's not who they really are. And in the back of your mind, you're saying, well, maybe to you, but I know what it was like for me, and I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about trying to get close to them because what you see and what I saw, that sounds like two totally different people. Now think about this. Why is it important that we be mindful of the experience we create with that person who doesn't really know us? It's important because we may never get a second chance to reach those people because of a bad impression we gave them the first time we met them. I promise you, it is hard to remember. I need to create the experience and try to influence their opinion based upon the interaction. I prepared the message this week and forgot it. 
I'm preaching it to you this evening. And you know what I'll do by week's end? I'll be so wrapped up in my own little world, I'm going to forget it. But you know what I've got to remember? And you know what I need to focus on? And you know what I need to think about? I need to think about this. Kyle, you create the experience. Kyle, you create the experience. You create the experience. You create the experience. So that when they leave your presence, if someone says, hey, what do you think of Kyle? Who's that? Oh, the preacher. Oh, yeah, he seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, he was pleasant. He was polite. He was thoughtful. That's what I need to work on. And that's what many of you need to work on. Being mindful of creating the experience so that it will not soon be forgotten by the people who have dealings and, and interaction with us. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us this evening to look at what Joseph did in the life of his brothers, what he did intentionally, what he did deliberately, and I pray that you'd help us to be very deliberate in our actions and in our conduct with people. I know there are times we need to be firm. I know there are times that we need to be authoritative, and I know that there are many more times that we need to be kind, we need to be gracious, we need to be polite, we need to be thoughtful. And God, we need to remember that there are people who are judging us based upon a few moments of interaction with us. And so, God, I pray that you'd help it to be in the forefront of our thoughts in the days to come, and that you'd help us to give attention to it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays, if you'd like to pray, you can.